Sometimes you get lucky and your game is an instant hit without investing in growth. For everyone else, there's IronSource. IronSource is a game tech company which builds technologies that helps you guys take your games to the next level. The company is developing the leading growth engine for mobile games, offering a robust monetization management platform and data-driven user acquisition platform. What sets IronSource apart is their ability to close the monetization and marketing loop to help developers supercharge growth in a super efficient way. So whether you're looking to drive revenue or to scale your audience smartly and ROI positively, IronSource is a perfect partner for you. We here at Deconstructor Fund are giant fans of IronSource because it's truly a growth platform that a developer of all sizes can leverage. So we suggest that you head on to ironsource.com, that's ironsrc.com, and check out the platform for yourself. Thanks. Everybody, welcome to Twig 75 on the podcast today. We've got a super full house. We've got all of us, myself, Joe Kim, Eric Kress, Adam Telfer, and Mishka is back. Welcome back, Mishka. Thank you, thank you, thank you. No boondoggles now, right? No, you can't travel anywhere, dude. You're stuck at home with the kids and the wife. Boondoggle no, days Actually, are over. Fin- Finland is super loose on this COVID thing. Like, it's it's a little bit of scary, scary loose. Like, you know, we're we're allowed to do pretty much everything. There's people in the bars here, so you know, it's uh, it's um, yeah, boondoggling happening. But I'm not going. All right, and today we are going to cover three articles and a couple of soft launches. So first, Mobile Studio Scopely nets $200 million for more acquisitions by Gamasutra. Second, Sony reveals full PS5 hardware specifications from The Verge. Third, mobile versions of Call of Duty and PUBG driving game revenue at Tencent. And then we will look at Knighthood by King and Heyday Pop. And by the night, night had actually worldwide launch, didn't it? Or is, is it still? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, worldwide. Okay. So worldwide launch of Nighthood and then soft launch review of Haiti Pop. Uh, ahead of that, any updates? Actually, I think, Adam, you've got a few. Yeah, just some light stuff that, you know, probably not worth a deep discussion here. Uh, GDC is now trying to do a summer event August 5th to 6th, um, as they announced. I'm not sure if this is actually going to go through. Right, like we'll, we'll see how long this all this craziness lasts, but um, yeah, we'll see. Warzone has hit 30 million players in uh, eight days, just over a week. Uh, just to keep that in mind, Apex was 25 million in seven days. So so far, Warzone is tracking very well. Uh, GeForce Now, labeled by Nvidia itself, is a huge success despite losing games. Eric is already leaning in. <laughs> it's a bit of an overstatement. Oh my God. I read this thing. It's like literally like six lines and it's like we've sold out of our allocations for North America and Europe, which basically means freaking nothing, right? Because if, so if alloc- didn't Stadia sell out at launch too? Of course really? it sold out. Yeah, it's the, it's the most <laughs> successful platform launch in the history of man, right? Because it's sold out at launch, right? Woo! <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it's a cloud like it's it's a cloud streaming like why would you sell out of it exactly it's unlimited <laughs> bandwidth right that's the power of the cloud you know yeah. what's going on anyway i uh these press releases are such horse pucky right that they are losing like every single ma- major piece of content off the service because they didn't sign deals with these publishers and now they're saying they're the you know they're selling out right whatever yep. It's selling it's, it, but also keep in mind that the free trial is not even over yet. It's so, like, I, I bought into GeForce now to give it a try, 
Um, and I still am in the free trial. I actually canceled because it's doing like a month or something like that. Yeah, and I, I, the problem with these services too, yeah, the churn is so dramatic, right? Because you, it's a, it's tchotchke, it's cool, it's it's a really you know like interesting tech, and you want to try it, but and all these dorks like us want to try it, but ultimately you don't use it. <laughs> if you don't use it, you're not going to pay for it, right? Um, so anyway, I don't know. It's kind of like my Disney Plus subscription these days, right? Mm-hmm. When are they going to come, come out with some new content for that? Watch Frozen Two. <laughs> oh my God, that was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I already watched it, obviously. And uh, what is it? Onward, the new um, Pixar movies coming on. Doing yeah, that. I need I need some new man, some more Mandalorian or something interesting. So that's oh, all you you pay like seven bucks a month just for Mandalorian in perpetuity. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, 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 <laughs> these Marvel shows should be coming, and I'm I'm waiting for that. But anyway, all right, moving on. Yeah. Uh, and last point, uh, we'll probably cover it next week. Team Fight Tactics uh, launched on mobile. Thursday, March 19th. So um, definitely playing that. All right. And I have a few updates as well. The first update is GameStop. So in a bit of strange news, GameStop execs, despite coronavirus concerns, instructed store managers to keep stores open, even if law enforcement tells them otherwise. So they were making the argument that they are an essential retail service, similar to pharmacies and grocery stores. (laughs) (laughs) So Kotaku reported that even some GameStop em- employees were saying this is indefensible. Anyway, due to massive backlash from this news, GameStop have now announced recently they will actually close all stores across the U.S. So there is that. I mean, come on. I'm sure a manager wanted to stay open to take advantage of kind of gamers stuck at home. Hell, it was like it's like a public service, right, for them to stay open. But ultimately, I think cooler heads prevailed and it made little or no sense. Um, the problem here is that this may, again, accelerate the demise of GameStop when you think about it. Luckily for them, though, it's kind of a slow month in general for gaming. So it shouldn't have any impact on real like packaged goods sales per se or as much as it would be, say, it was in like September, October, November timeframe. But what I think it could do is actually push people more digital because all retail is basically shut down. So now everyone's going to be buying digitally, right? And so these the download numbers are probably going to be off the chain in, in February and March, if I were to guess, as a percentage of the overall sales. Um, for instance, you know, the Switch just had its second biggest launch ever on, yeah. uh, sorry, on, on the Switch with Animal Crossing. And I think generally those are like 15 to 20% type numbers for digital i bet it gets to closer to 30 uh or more maybe um given people's unwillingness or unable to get to to um retail so anyway so yeah all this is super bad for any type of struggling retailer out there because they're basically going to lose traffic for weeks and potentially months so bye-bye GameStop. Yeah, right. come on, Reggie, save him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Reggie. <laughs> Imagine Reggie walking into that board being like, nope, I'm out. <laughs> All right, second update, as kind of hypothesized in our last, last podcast, game studio investments would become more attractive as a hedge to future viral epidemics. And it's not just Scopely, which we'll talk about in a bit, but two new startups also announced fundraising. So first, Robin Games announced $7 million financing from London Venture Partners. They are a company focusing on lifestyle games and led by Jill Wilson, formerly of Jam City, 
And some ex-Jam City folks I know have told me that Jill Wilson was the person most responsible for the success of Panda Pop. Uh, and although I don't know her at all, she definitely has a very strong reputation. I do know her. You, you know her? Okay. Yeah, yeah. she's great. I'm okay. so happy for her. She, they, they were running a, a, a VC fund. So when she left Jam City, I think they traveled a year with her husband. And okay. then they started a games VC fund. And, um, and, uh, and then kind of uh, this happened afterwards. So she's, she's fantastic. Right. Well, yeah, definitely strong reputation. Good luck to her. Second, Mainframe Industries raised $8.3 million for cloud native games. Investors included Andreessen Horowitz and Riot Games. They're based in Helsinki. So, Mishka, that must mean if they're in Helsinki, you must know about them. What, what's they're the story? Based, they're based in, in two cities, actually. They're based okay. in Reykjavik and Helsinki. So, it's, it's, um, it's, I mean, the story is they're building cloud-based MMORPG. That's pretty much it. It's uh, it's totally amazing, um, amazing technology. I don't know about the game. Games are always difficult, but the technology seems to be really sound. So um, a lot of veterans in that team, I think they're from CCP, the Reykjavik part. Okay. And uh, I think the ones from Helsinki, there's a lot of Next Games folk. So JK probably knows though. So um, that's a shocker. Andreessen Horowitz is investing in sandbox and cloud-based, right? Shocker. (laughs) they got triggered they got triggered (laughs) all right final announcement is manticore games so the platform developer that raised 30 million to create a sandbox platform for online games recently published a youtube video showing off their engine so no real details from the video but basically it showed what looks to be something like a Fortnite maker like Mm -hmm. you could literally show the video to someone and not say what it is and people would likely think it's Fortnite. I hope that's not what it is, but as with everyone, good luck to those guys and all the other folks who just raised money. <laughs> oh, that, nice way to a, close that one off. Yeah, that's, that's a, I don't that's a agree with little bit of a little bit of a sour ending. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. All right, any uh, other updates, guys? Yeah, 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 I have some, I have some. So since you guys are always posting these news, all right, I got a news. So I was reading through Apps Flyers COVID-19 report on the effect on app marketing and they have a data sample so not i I didn't find any other um um attribution platform really putting in these data samples but AppSlide does have it uh so they they showed a sample including three billion organic installs and 1.8 billion non-organic installs from the past two months and basically you know the business are scrambling to understand what they're facing and what actions they need to take to keep going in very likely global recessions. So the report kind of looked at 2020 uh, for mobile apps and what will be the impact of the pandemic on their marketing budgets. And the information that they they basically pulled out was to help marketers to to make wiser decisions with their strategies and budgets. So I broke in key takeaways. Uh, there's really two. Uh, number one is the organics installs are rising, but the UA budget is still largely unchained. So Overall, the organic installs were up by 15, and when we look at the games, it was up by 7. And we can see that the short-term ROAS has increased, and long-term, there's a potential for economic recession, and that could affect many households, decrease overall consumer spend, lower user lifetime value for marketers, and so on. So that's an interesting discussion that we're going to probably get somebody from AppSlyer to to join our podcast and discuss it. And And the second one was kind of looking through these trends. Uh, based on different demographic markets, and what they what they saw was that 
you know, when China went into a lockdown that increased the, uh, the organics and non-organic installs at the onset of the outbreak. And then there was a drop after the outbreak, outbreak was contained. Literally the same graphs showing for Italy. So now they're, you know, spiking because everybody's locked down. Uh, Korea was different because Koreans are smart. They closed down everything. They contained. So no organics, no, no paid. And we can see that the same is happening now. What happened with Italy, what happened with, with, uh, with China is happening now with Germany, Spain, UK, and US, which is going to get a really heavy punch in about two weeks, is going to follow suit. So there's a, a, interesting trends in this report. I think you can find it from Apps Flyers uh, main page. And you can kind of see the graphs uh, based on the sample size that they're uh, showing. So really uh, suggest everybody check it out. I'm kind of looking at this just from the perspective of downloads and revenue mm -hmm. across the different regions. Uh, but we did see in Sensor Tower, you know, a, a spike in downloads that was kind of short term in China as, as we got to the apex of the cases mm -hmm. there. But we didn't really see that much change in revenue. And then for the U.S., the impact really hasn't really happened yet. So it'd probably be, you know, this week and next week. Potentially, there could be some kind of change. But overall, it looks like just we're steady Eddie, you know, and then with anecdotes about the console space, I think, you know, again, gaming is in, is in a pretty good shape despite the pandemic. Now, when we get into recession and, and all these other economic issues, you know, everything is impacted in some way. But video games are pretty strong in these type of environments, as we talked mm -hmm. about the, on the last podcast. So not too worried about my companies per se, um, just the overall uh, environment will be obviously a challenge in general, I would say. Um, I'm hearing anecdotally that at least for mobile games, some mobile games are actually experiencing quite a nice boost, even for new game launches actually. Yeah. So uh, yeah, like payback windows are compressing, ROAS is increasing in some cases dramatically. So I guess it, it really depends. It's probably situational, but. Yeah, you know, I'm just not seeing that in the data set. And I'm wondering whether or not App Annie and Scope even and, and Sensor Tower can actually accurately show like. Are they getting the right data? Yeah, because only if they were getting it directly from the publishers themselves, mm -hmm. which I think App Annie has a much bigger panel. I'm not quite sure. But so I don't know if they're able to track this, but I I don't know. It's, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, anecdotally, just discussing with people from different companies, uh, it seems I would summarize that business as usual. There are certain games that are up, certain games that are you know that have been declining, continue to decline, and um, and certain games are just stable that were stable beforehand. So I think business as usual is good in the current environment, but but that's that's the average. What's what's going on? It would be interesting to see the legacy portfolio. How does this this uh, situation affect games that are a bit older? Do players return to that? And if they do, then the marketer should probably engage more with re-engagement campaigns, if it makes sense. I don't know, since the um, CPIs might be down now that all the travel and, you know, all the, um, what other apps are down? Travel, map, uh, hotels, all that is down. So that could decrease CPMs. Yeah. But I mean, longer term, this is all good because just I think the main point is that the dollar per hour of entertainment for games is just I mean, there, there's not a better value out there for entertainment. So, yeah, true, true. All right. Scopely. So moving on to news, mobile studio Scopely nets 200 million for more acquisitions. And as reported by Gamasutra, Scopely has raised 200 million in additional Series D funding. 
The round was led by New View Capital and follows the acquisition of Fox Next Games from the initial 200 million of Series D funding they raised in October of last year. Walter Driver, the co-CEO of Scopely stated, with our business continuing to scale and the durability of our flagship properties, we are more bullish than ever on further expanding our portfolios through merger, mergers and acquisitions, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so long story short, I'm just trying to get to the point, is it sounds like they want to do more uh, acquisitions. So, uh, <laughs> or <laughs> anyway, so I do think uh, they'll probably do one more big acquisition. Uh, Eric, I don't know if you have a take on that. I don't know if you if you like my pick on who their next acquisition is, but you know we, we think that's what they're doing. This brings the total funding raised to six hundred fifty-eight point seven million across eleven rounds. That is an ungodly <laughs> number. That is an absolute <laughs> ungodly number. I, I don't think people really truly appreciate this. I mean, it's not quite on the scale of Uber or Lyft or these other like. Crazy companies, but like for something like this, it's unreal. unreal. Right. And as reported by Bloomberg last October, the valuation lost October was 1.7 billion. So assuming that was post money, current valuation should now be 1.9. Guys, what do you guys think? Well, uh, I dusted off the uh, the old old podcast from last summer, which we uh, recorded with Javier, the uh, the co co CEO of of Scopely, and he talked about their core components. So number one was the studio ecosystem that can deliver genre-leading long-term products. Number two was tech platform. And what he meant by that was basically, you know, the game engines, the game services, it's just, you know, leaderboards, guilds, yada, yada, and the publishing tech, which is the UA and data platform. And then he talked about their strong company op- operating system. So, in, you know, kind of my interpretation of Scopely is it's very core depth-driven product strategy. So, I think it's really interesting. They kind of, they analyze the market. This is just my, my opinion, but they analyze the market. They, they see what kind of IPs there are. They see what kind of studios there are that could be working on those IPs. They marry them together. They build an internal team of, of specialists that they put in the Culver City to drive that studio, uh, as well as uh, manage the, uh, the IP relationship. And what I really like about how they approach things is they really stick to their bets. Uh, what I mean by that is they do have the patience and, you know, for them, the KPIs come over financials and they, they build those world-class teams. So, you know, quoting Javier here, it's like, if the team, if the team is strong and the product is good, it's just a matter of time until you can find those right key performance indicators. Now, of course, this hasn't happened with all their games. Uh, for example, the, the Temple Run puzzle game took a long time and they, in the end, killed it in soft launch. But what you can see is they really stick to it and they're not kind of like, you know, stick and move and try different things all overall, but they, but they really invest time to, to, you know, to make the game work. But the question that I have is like, you know, their revenue is at all time high. So I looked at the data is, you know, this is just an aggregation from, from data platform from Mapani, but it looks to be like 36 million a net, net revenue a month which, you know, whether that is a correct number or whether it's way off, it's still 45% larger compared to January of 2019. That's a lot. And, and when you look at their graph, it's, it's growing like crazy, the revenue graph. So, you know, the question for me is like, why do they need all these rounds? And, and what is the end goal? Is it like IPO? Is it acquisition? They're like at 2 billion already. So it's just, it's, it's a question mark. They're making more and more money and they're raising more and more money. So that's, a, that's kind of a, you know, you know, what do you think, Eric? 
Yeah, you know, I had all these like positive things I was going to say, but, but but Joseph convinced me to say not so positive a thing. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you knew this was going to happen, dude. Throw you right under the bus, motherfucker. All right. Wow. So I the the way I kind of look at it is you have to kind of compare them to glue because they're basically sitting at about a $450 million run rate net. And so maybe they have a little bit more revenue than glue, but but it's in the similar size. And glue is basically tracking to 460 million this year with 10 to 12 percent margins. God, if they're lucky, <laughs> and their valuation is around a billion dollars. So, the real question is: Can Scopely kind of grow their business and become more profitable to glue, and then justify this two billion dollar valuation? Um, so, without actually seeing the numbers, this is as close as I can get. But so, this is the part where. <laughs> I was basically saying that uh, they have better products, but then Joseph <laughs> suggested they do not. But anyway, I, what I think is that Scopely has some good tentpole products. I think the Marvel game is actually a really good addition, as I said before. And so they have a kind of stable platform of games that should continue to deliver going forward. So again, what they need to do is they need to design games on top of that with their acquisition as well as their you know their scrabble game that's out right now etc and what's the uh, marble game so the uh, avatar game etc and then and build like more revenue and and, and grow and grow profitably because i think that's the biggest challenge that glue has is there's no way for them to really grow profitably because they're terrible um so <laughs> What I do like about the company is management's getting it done. They are throwing themselves out there. They're making bets and they're, and they're executing and they're convincing some pretty smart people to give them lots of money. So I guess it's, up, it, it's, the, it, it's all about execution now, right? It's basically finding games that can scale and that have run rates of hundreds of millions of dollars that you can scale profitably and and grow your bottom line so that you're more like zynga which is sitting around 20 percent margins as opposed to nine to ten percent margins that probably glue will achieve so i don't know but if avatar bombs and they can't get as much scale on scrabble and they do an acquisition that fails then they're going to be in big trouble right because they just don't have additional pipeline that's going to offset that. Um, but as they do these acquisitions, they're diversifying their risk across multiple studios. And hopefully they can come up with a real successful launch and, and scale this business. But I don't know. It just, what I like about them is that they seem to be having, they have a lot of momentum and people want to work with them and they're set up to at least take some shots on goal. Um, unlike glue, which just doesn't seem to have a pipeline that's all that remarkable. Um, I don't know. Any other thoughts, Adam? Joseph? I'm assuming that you just like <laughs> Scopely because of the CEO. How attracted you are to the CEO? Yeah, CEOs. I, I, CEOs. So yeah, both. I know. I'm blinded <laughs> by my passion. Yes. <laughs> the handsome CEO. But... No, I, I, I kind of want them to achieve. Oh, and the answer to the question about what they do, right? They could get acquired. They could go public, right? Again, if they need a, they need a better profile profitability-wise. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Who would acquire them? I don't anybody. know. Anybody that wants Tencent. to get into the West, right? Yeah, if they want like some publishing arm in the West. Like 
Tencent and Timi and those guys, I think they're all struggling trying to figure out how to make money in the West, right? With this disaster that is Call of Duty. Um, and so I think, I, I think there could be some value there. I mean, I think it's a tougher sell, to be honest. But, um, and, and going public, well, certainly in this market, public is out of the question, right? <laughs> and again, their profile would have to change pretty dramatically. And I want to be clear, I've not seen their numbers, but I imagine that they are break even at best, right? And so if, 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 if that's the case, then they need to get to 15 to 20% margins, or at least a story that gets them close to that in order to even conceive of going into the public markets. And, and that's kind of what I think probably what happened. Well, it is what happened with the guys down in LA. Uh, but, but I think this, this, uh, this exit is a really important part of, of, you know, of their overall story because they have hired a lot of people, a lot. And part of your, you know, part of your deal as you're hiring people from EA and Zynga's and, and whatnot is that you're giving them stock. And people are vesting. So what is the what is the value of that stock? And then like, you know, I think people working for Scopely are very interested in, in what's the end goal. Because if it's the IPO, then fine. If it's the uh like I've I've had friends who who were interviewing there who got offers and they always had that stock component. And I was always asking, So where do you sell this stock? Like like how how does it work? And they couldn't answer me. So I, I don't know. I'm you know, I'm not throwing shade, I'm just asking a question. I mean, we were in the same situation at Kabam, to be honest, right? Mm -hmm. um, and ultimately, we did did get sold, but um, but it was a much lower valuation, right? It was exactly. eight hundred million. These guys are two exactly. billion. So yeah. this is the same thing I said the last time, and 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 I apologize to Scopely again. Uh, is that they're not worth two billion? I just can't in 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 my heart of hearts say that two billion is the right valuation for this company, right? I think they need to do quite a bit in order to justify that valuation. And if they execute <laughs> flawlessly, you know, then they, it, it's possible, right? Um, and it could be a two billion company. <laughs> it could be, right? Yeah. <laughs> but again, I mean, they have to have a success, really, really successful games, like almost a better game than they've actually come out with uh, before like scales to two, 200 type million is you know 50 percent margins like that kind of like success needs to happen and i that's freaking hard right that's really freaking hard yeah. so an avatar could be it but i mean not the way it is now <laughs> i mean there's just no way right that game is not doing that well for that genre right and so wait till the movies wait till the movies i hope the movies launch by the way when it when when were the movies are supposed to go out because with the corona nobody launches new movies well it's supposedly this holiday right it's been delayed a few years so yeah this is their yeah. big movie but yeah. anyway i'm hoping for the best um walter we're, we're supposedly trying to connect one of these days but now he's not traveling so i'm not going to see him but uh but maybe we'll get on the phone and he can uh convince me and 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 You'll you'll come you back. Move, you're like Scopely's move. worth four yeah. dollars. I made <laughs> I recalculated everything. <laughs> and it's actually I got and, some attention. Now there were yeah. six. Lo and behold, SVP of Corp Dev, Eric Kress. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. This moving on. Let's go. Sony. Let's talk Sony. <laughs> PS5. So uh, this was the the big week for Sony. Um, they finally revealed the specs for PS5 this week um, in a very, very awkward format. <laughs> what looks to be pretty much just a repurposed GDC Tech Talk 
was actually the PS5 reveal. Um, it was funny because you had all these fans assuming that it'd be this like big, like um, big reveal event, even messaging beforehand from, from Sony was to build up hype as a big event only to be bored stupid minutes into this presentation. <laughs> like you watch the chat alongside and just immediately just Z's all the way through this chat. <laughs> because it was basically like Mark Cerny, who's like, I'm a huge fan of Mark Cerny, um, doing his intended GDC talk at a little podium, like a fake virtual podium. Um, and Sony like still promoted it and published anyways, not thinking that, you know, this is going to be the first step forward around like the first big announcer on ps5 yeah and he talked about heating talked about 3d audio talked about fan noise and talked about system architecture for over 50 minutes um and again mark is an amazing game dev but that was tough to listen to um <laughs> dr sir Contoto on twitter um i think pretty much had a great quote on this which my hot take is that it just looks like sony rushed the ps5 video out because they felt pressure of Microsoft's video earlier in the week. Um, the developer-focused presentation before a consumer reveal, who does that? Um, and I think that really sums it up. But anyways, the weirdness of the event, let's just look into the specs. So if we're going to do this, uh, let's just comp PS5 directly to Xbox Series X, which has already come out. Um, and really at the high level, PS5 is going for SSD speed, and X Xbox X is going for GPU speed. There is larger differences in the specs than I think many anticipated before, um, but overall, like a, from a GPU level, PS5 is about 10.28 teraflops, Xbox X is 12 teraflops. So to make up that difference, PS5 is touting its proprietary SSD, which does about two gigabytes in about a quarter of a second, can load two gigabytes in about a quarter of a second, instead of roughly 40 seconds on a PS4. So you know, as, as we've said before, SSDs mean loading times are going to be uh, significantly better on this generation. Um, Xbox X is more than double that speed. But besides that, everything else is pretty much the same. So same RAM. Uh, they're both going to support 4K, 8K HDR stuff. Um, and also with the system architecture, while, you know, it's 10.28, I think Mark was really pushing their variable CU architecture and clock rate which allows PS5 to, you know, get a little bit more teraflops, but it means that there's going to be additional work to optimize specifically for that platform. Um, so, yeah, no one's committing on pricing yet. Um, I think rumors are that Sony's struggling to go with 400. I'm going to say 500. Um, and I think Sony still, of course, has the big lead on content exclusives. But at least from this week, it looks like Microsoft was going to have a lead on tech because, in my opinion, GPU is going to be weighed higher than SSD performance. That's my opinion. Um, but after this reveal event, I'm really just left wondering if Sony's gonna screw up this cycle just due to poor PR. Um, there's just a <laughs> lot of messaging control that you just don't wanna see at this time. Um, at, this, at the end of the day, the content exclusives are gonna do a lot for them, but still, like, come on guys. Joe? Yeah, I gotta agree with Suricon. I when I When I tuned into that, uh, whatever their live broadcast or whatever, I tuned into some nonsense about, I don't even remember what it, what it was, HRDP, HQZB or something, some weird audio tech shit. And I just immediately fell asleep. And, you know, after I woke up, I, I just had to check out Suricon or Daniel Mod's Twitter tweets to get the summary info. So I personally think Sony really did fuck this one up. Uh, a lot of people were really excited for the announcement and 
instead of doing what Steve Jobs would have done, they gave it the sort of Bill Gates treatment. And I mean, I love Bill Gates, but he's not exactly the master showman. And just to be clear, I don't think it's as bad as how badly Blizzard fucked up the Diablo mobile announcement, but it was pretty bad. <laughs> yeah the sliding scale is like <laughs> diablo immortals is like the worst this yeah. is halfway between okay <laughs> exactly eric i think you guys are being a bit harsh right i mean i i don't even really understand why they even do these right because this is something that you could put in a white paper and send out to every developer in the world in five minutes right so why they kind of repurpose a white paper into this long, drawn-out, droning, tech tech porn type thing, it just makes no sense. Um, and clearly, <laughs> the audience, I guess the audience is also starving for any type of information about what's going on with content and things around that matter to them, because Sony has done a terrible job, I would agree with Joseph, on on marketing this this console so far. Because all they've really done is done these reveals, these Wired reveals, right, that seem completely ridiculous. Wired is not the right magazine to begin with. So anyway, they have a lot of work to do in order to bring the content and the information that people want. And even the fanboys on IGN, which are is getting, they are getting worse and worse on IGN at being kind of objective journalists on this stuff. They are like such fanboys. Even they were <laughs> completely out of their minds about this this presentation and 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 dying for something something to like sink their teeth in. Um, but I again this was a GDC presentation and it makes sense for that audience, but it didn't need to be broadcasts around the world at all and i think microsoft did a smarter move where they had the three or four minute reveal sizzle and then they had this boring presentation for the people that, that want it afterwards so much smarter way and microsoft seems to be far uh planning out their their messaging much much better at least so far um so uh, the good news, I guess, from all of this is it seems like Microsoft and Sony are still committed to releasing these consoles this year. So that seems to be coming through. They both seem to be at a very high price point, likely $500 uh, at least, which is high. Um, and for the record, there's never been a successful launch of a $500 console. So this will be the first, hopefully. Um, and my take is that this year they're going to be fine. I think they're going to sell them off the shelves. I think. Next year and the year after, I think adoption is going to be a bit slower this time around. Because at the end of the day, as we've talked about it before, the only real feature that really matters, I think, on these consoles um, are the SSDs and load times. And I don't think that's super compelling to you know, the broadest group possible. So we shall see. Next. All right. Mobile version of Call of Duty and PUBG driving game revenue at Tencent. Now, this is, uh, this is an interesting one. So um, without going further into details into the article, I actually started analyzing uh, Call of Duty uh, after, a, uh, after a while. I haven't been playing it actually in a, in, a, in a hot second, but I started playing again. So at the moment, the game has about, you know, hit about 130 million in net revenue and 230 million in installs. Of course, those are just aggregations. 42% of all the revenue is coming from U.S. and the revenue per install is 1.4 in the U.S. And there's a steady but very slow growth of that revenue per install. 
Japan is number two market for this game, and it brings 50% of all the revenues. And actually, revenue per install is double, about 2.4. And surprisingly, on a much more aggressive growth path. So I actually also started looking at the numbers and kind of comparing PUBG and, and Call of Duty, since, since those are the two games named there. Uh, when you look at the RPI from launch, Call of Duty is actually way higher, and it's growing you know, uh, steadily. But uh, when you turn it into just overall revenue, you can see that the revenue of PUBG has been growing growing steadily since growth until about 14 months in where it truly skyrocketed with the latest updates versus Call of Duty is just nosediving. It started with about 25 million, uh, about 30, 30 plus million net revenue a month to the current run rate where they're going below 25 and, and you know, about, you know, 20 million a month. Still not bad, but, but definitely way lower than it was in the beginning. Um, when you look at the game development, it hasn't been smooth sailing either. So they made that big zombie mode and that pretty much tanked. It's now taken off from the front menu. It's kind of like a side mode, side little thing. And there was really no clear impact from the launch of new, new seasons in the game. I think we're now in season three. And, um, and when you look at the revenue curve, there's no, those, you know, there's no bumps when, when those seasons starts. And when you think about the issues, and this is a lot of stuff that Ad, Adam wrote on Deconstructor of Fun and, and you've talked about it. It's like the game has a very strong PvP focus. And I just noticed that coming back to the game was, was really punishing. I just felt that I was getting owned all the time. Um, the, the damage mode is very simple, so that really limits the weapon stats. And there's no power progressions. They, they do those attachments and upgrades, but they're kind of like a mandatory thing that you fool around. And I haven't really touched my attachment on the guns at all. It's a skin-based economy, but with the theme of Call of Duty, the skins are quite, quite boring. Uh, and there's not too many things you can play around with. And I haven't gotten any fun skins. I'm still, you know, I'm still this sort of a, like a mercenary looking guy with, with sunglasses and, a, and a, you know, whatever it is. And, and they do have abilities that are pretty cool. Like you, you can have a helicopter, you can, you know, place a turret and whatnot. But, you know, they don't matter that, that much. Uh, and, and to my surprise, actually, the PVE mode, which I always thought that the PVE is the thing that, that that really pushes it forward so i i personally like the battle royale mode in that because you can play together with friends and it's less hectic and it's just you know it's more fun but at the same time the pve mode which was the zombies mode which also had power progression really did not work with this game so if we go back to the post that i reread which adam wrote with with a few other people on deconstructor of fun on on how call of duty can can make more money it's basically you know, doubling down on, on weapons. And, and they've done that with different shards and, and weapon skins that are pretty cool. Um, Adam, you talked about the cosmetic sets. So adding more personalization, personalization opportunities and just, you know, pushing players to fill up the whole set. They've done some of that, but I don't know, maybe it's me, but just I, I'm not interested in the sets that they're providing. They're not fun. They're not like PUBG fun or Fortnite fun. And and the final one, what you were talking about was quality over quantity. So, you know, just adding cool shit to the game. And I think they've added cool stuff and in different game modes. But there's, as a player, as a person who really likes Call of Duty Mobile, I don't feel compelled to collect any of it. I'm just playing the core game until I get owned enough or just tired. And, and that's it. So, so that's the kind of a situation. And, and, um, and yeah, um, what do you think? Yeah, I'm not going to go over this again. I, I, mean, I just think this is a, this is a failed product. 
from from the get go. And I, although I think it is maintaining a a small audience or a relatively small audience that continues to play the game. So I think mm. from that perspective, they probably have been successful. But the monetization design um, and and what they're trying to sell seems to be weak. Uh, but my real question here is who's going to win this freaking bet, right? Mishka lost like eight months ago before this thing released because he was so <laughs> gung ho on the release. He lost, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I lost even before somebody yeah. shot the gun. It's the story of your life, dude. You lost I, before even playing the game, dude. I'm uh, just anyway. a fan. I'm just a, I won. It was a great game. I really enjoyed it. So as a player, I won. Oh, sure. <laughs> You're supposed to be an objective analyst right you're no, not supposed I'm to get your emotions uh, all right <laughs> although my emotions for uh never mind um so <laughs> me and adam have a bet and it's basically within the first correct me if i'm wrong for the first 12 months can it do over 200 million i said under 200 and you are over 200 is, is that actually like, did you go back and listen to the podcast i did i did i actually did that Okay. Okay. While I was while I was playing Division all morning like a crack addict, I was listening to our podcast, and that is what I think the bet was. Okay, so you said one hundred and fifty to two hundred. I said two hundred to two hundred and fifty. That's something. Basically, like that. something like yeah. that. Okay. So, but basically, under it's over under, right? Yeah. Um, and I tell you, we're freaking close, right? This is not. Yeah. This is going to come yeah. down to the wire because if they actually <laughs> fix something and get it more compelling, then that could bust them through the two hundred. But. Yeah. Then again, at least you and I were right. Regardless of who wins the bet, we were right that this thing was not going to be a big game uh, compared to what expectations were, because expectations were like 500 to a billion, right? (laughs) No, they were seriously talking Fortnite and PUBG money, right? And no, not happening, right? So anyway, I think I will win the steak dinner or... And maybe you'll take me out in Canada or something or wherever you're going to be. No, I'll just grub hub you a steak. Yeah, Uber Eats. No, 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 no. That's lame. <laughs> well, if you know, COVID's still happening. Might just grab COVID will, will not be happening by then, dude. <laughs> we'll, we'll have a Zoom steak. Yeah. Anyway, but, but I, the bet ends at in end of September, right, or right before it uh, the, the it anniversary is its launch, and we will keep tracking it, and we'll see what happens. Yeah. All right. Now, talking about other games that are failing to impress, uh, let's look at these soft launch reviews and this release of Knighthood from. Our friends at King. King. Yeah. yeah. The, the one thing Pop. I will say about the Tencent thing, um, it was weird that they picked that as the headline. Because to be honest, like when they talked about like their overall revenues, they talked a lot more about PUBG. Um, and actually, they even talked more about Team Fight Tactics driving revenue. So it is weird that they picked like Call of Duty within that article. Um, because like personally, I'm following much more around Team Fight Tactics and how much revenue that's bringing in. Because mm-hmm. from my perspective, as Giovanni brought up on the blog post, it looks like it's not retaining that well. But um, at least from this um, um, uh, news from from Tencent itself, they seem to be pretty positive on it. So yeah, keep track of. Anyways, let's talk about Knighthood and Hitty Pop. Pop. So um, two games to talk about with Knighthood. It is a turn-based CCRPG. Um, what I would call like with very, very high production values and a very clean art style in UX. Um, if you've played it, um, it, it, it's got a very, very strong first impression. Um, it's still pretty early, but so far in terms of execution uh, on an RPI basis is pretty weak. It's got a 50 cents worldwide RPI off about 2.5 million downloads, most likely, you know, big featuring, um, some push from King. And if we start to compare that just in the US 
uh, around that four, or sorry, uh, globally around that four weeks. Empires and Puzzles was about 75 cents by this point, and Raid was over $2. So you'd like to see that higher. And if we just look at the US, it gets a little bit more comparable. So 1.2 US RPI versus Empires and Puzzles, 1.1 RPI. So you know maybe that's a better comp and maybe it can only perform in certain markets. But like what it's overall trying to do, I would call it trying to create that CSR racing of CCRPGs, um, try to create a much more broader audience, um, or maybe pull some of that like Archero magic into CCRPGs. Creating mass market casual gameplay, high production values, um, very tactile action RPG style core gameplay, and I would say like back to basics, almost Diablo style progression merged with gotcha mechanics. Um, most likely trying to be a lower CPI um, and likely at the cost of lower LTV overall uh, to attract a wider audience. My quick take on this is that, like in terms of execution, it's actually you know a, a great and fun game. Mm -hmm. UI UX on this is is great. Um, a lot of best in class implementations there. Very high production values, animation, etc. Is, is stellar. And core gameplay, I, I definitely had a very strong first impression with them in terms of being very tactile and fun versus most turn-based games. So yeah, great first impression. It definitely scratched my itch of being a proper loot-based RPG on mobile. But similar to Soul Guard, King's previous mid-core game, it's just likely going to have problems scaling again because this is just too shallow in terms of depth, in terms of its damage model, collectible definition, progression systems, and pretty limited gameplay modes to all strain those systems. So it's likely translating into weaker long-term retention and weaker revenue numbers and likely why they're pushing video ads in the game right from day one, in which every single video ad is pushing me to play Raid Shadow Legends, which <laughs> is the game and the design that they should be building. Um, but that, that's pretty much my thoughts. Uh, Eric? What? Why are we even talking about this game? If it, if, it, if it didn't come out from King, like we would not even, this would not even be mentioned, right? It's trash, right? It's make, it makes a dollar in RPI in the US, which is just not enough to scale. And the only reason they've gotten as many downloads as they have is because probably because King is, is pushing it. Well, it's trash, like, dude. It's like not the, the dollar shit. US, right? Like that is the same thing that Empires and Puzzles got. It's just that Empires and Puzzles eventually grew to where they were. Yeah, dude, this thing has been in beta for like I think this is the same Soul Guard game, isn't it? This no. Is no, 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 it's a completely different studio. <laughs> this is like the same beta. This thing's been no, in beta no, for no, a gazillion years. No, King King definitely does insanely long soft launches, so it doesn't no, no, no. surprise oh, me yeah. if it's been in soft launch for two years. But Look, the one dollar RPI in the U.S. after after launch, right? Like that is the same as Empires and Puzzles. It's not like Empires and Puzzles was in soft launch in the U.S. All right, fine, but it. it it's just this game is too casual. It's not going to monetize. It's just it's 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 over before it starts, right? King can make puzzle games. Full stop. Done. Yeah. Moving on, right? No. By the way, it's yeah. not King. It's a Lemington Spa Studio called Madoki. But, yeah, but yeah. it's published by King. I mean, Publish, when you, when you look at the RPG market, it's it's it has grown and it's very mature. So in order to to break into the top, you really need massive development investment. And, and this game has def definitely had it. I think it's been production for like four years or something. And you also need to have a really steady pipeline of, of content and, and 
truly superb live operations. And studio on, on, that is working on RPG has to focus on depth over core gameplay, which is exactly what that I mentioned. And they have to have those those you know those live ops capabilities and just, you know insane production process to keep the content fresh for the players. We talk about raid, and and to my understanding, that's like a studio with five hundred people working in Ukraine on that game. Now there are two ways to win in the RPG market, and that is either you know bundling accessibility with depth or just embracing the hardcore looks and bundling them with depth. So compare that raid to to the Hero Wars, which is uh, you know a company, it's not Playrix company, but they, they definitely have some affiliation with Playrix. You know, one is super hardcore RPG and and the other one is is just you know embarrassingly simple in art style, but both are very deep. And and when we think about you know when we think about King making an RPG game, it's it's their genre mastery, as Eric says, is in puzzle games. They focus so heavily on early retention, and that's what you get in that game. It feels, it looks, you know, amazing. It's definitely uh, done for the wide audience, but you know, it doesn't monetize as, as 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 you go forward because it does lack that depth. And and even those battles that in the beginning were so much fun when you make that hit and the animations are beautiful and it just feels so great. You know, after a while, I'm like, fuck, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to see these battles. Like, I'm more here to collect shit and and you know improve my stuff, and that doesn't happen sadly in that game a lot. But I would, I would fucking not call that game trash. It's fantastic. Like from a player's perspective, it it truly feels fresh. It feels really nice. It was really fun to play. Not playing it that much because you know they focus too much on the animation and the UX versus the collection mechanic. I want cool shit and I want to craft cool shit. Yeah, I'm just playing it right now for like the last five minutes, so can't really see the in-depth. In Whoa, kind of give your deconstruction then. Yeah, <laughs> My five-minute deconstruction is... Great tutorial. The art, Great tutorial. Style, uh, the art style is really awesome, but yeah, I, I don't think it makes it, but I also think, I would say the UI is really good, but I, I don't like the UX at all, actually. Yeah. You don't like the position of the buttons, or what do you mean? And the way that they're surfacing stuff, and yeah, I I, mm. I don't like the UX, but that that's just my five minute review. Anyway, no. well, compared to most RPG games that I play, it's like, oh, this is nice and fresh. This is yeah, amazing. exactly, exactly. Like play Hero Wars and tell me how you feel okay. about that. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on. Uh, Heyday Pop, um, which was quietly soft launched this week. Um, it's extremely early, so I probably shouldn't even be mentioning the RPI, but anyways, I'm going to say it. Uh, in the first days, it looks like about $0.25 cents RPI in Australia and New Zealand off about 1,000 downloads, so super early. Um, what we want to see, just so everyone kind of has a sense, we want to see roughly about $2 in about one month in Australia and New Zealand. That's at the level of gardenscapes and homescapes. Um, the lower end of this would be Lily's Garden, and that was only about eighty-five cents. So it should, you know, reach at least a dollar, hopefully up to two, to show that this thing has some legs. What it's actually doing, um, think of it in terms of a scapes style gameplay with like a sim and decorate meta, um, but the core is blast, so tomb blast um, or toy blast style core gameplay. Um, they've managed to create some like clever new level modifiers for the blast gameplay. So it, it like, it's done enough of a spin to the core gameplay to, to justify it on its own. Um, and their meta is a little bit more of a departure from the scapes model. So it's the meta in my perspective is much more like Pearl's Peril than homescapes. Instead mm -hmm. of the meta, meta just being, you know, level progression, which unlocks new slots for you to decorate 
um, with a limited number of options with each one of those slots, you have a lot more freedom in Hayden Pop. You actually complete levels, earn resources, and then you can unlock and purchase decorations uh, and resource generators in your big like sim building area. Decoration placement is much more like a traditional mobile sim game, things like Farmville, um, and it rewards you with XP like decorating your area it rewards you with XP, which is needed to unlock more of the farm and unlock new pieces. So it's much more of a traditional uh, sim game. Resource generators can be purchased like the chicken coop or the wheat field, which generate boosts stars on a longer timer. Um, one important bit that's missing from the usual scapes style model is narrative. Um, it has a much, much thinner narrative. Um, it reduces their live content because they don't have to produce you know, chapters of a story. But from a consumer research that I've done in the past, narrative is such a major contributor to the retention in the scapes model. It's kind of odd that they didn't really lean into this at all. Uh, my quick take on this, it's really a well-executed match three game, comparing this to Spooky Pop, which was their previous mm. puzzle game. Um, they've done a great job of emulating what I think is the best practice in match three and bringing their own spin to expand the genre. Um, aligning with like sim and decoration is a logical step forward for match three. Um, although to be honest, like we've already seen a number of experiments fail moving in the same direction. Like King has already attempted multiple soft launches in this direction and Wooga has a game like this that they've been attempting to try to scale. So I don't see this loop as being super innovative and I would be surprised if it scales better than before. But Overall, like this is a supercell game, right? I'm evaluating as if it's a King or a Playrix game. And I think comparing this to the usual bar of supercell games, I don't think this is the same level of innovation that we would expect. And I think what supercell is always best at is creating grand, brand new markets and then becoming a market leader simply by being there first and owning that audience. So like Clash Royale owning like 99% of that market. Clash of Clans obviously was dominant. They are the best in the world at doing this, creating these new games and dominating, and are one of the few companies with the creative confidence to do so. So it feels weird that they kind of step in and go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Playrix and King on their turf with a design that's fairly similar. And I just don't see this game or Supercell having enough leverage internally to beat them. Like Supercell could be doing some smart things. It could be auto-generating levels, but my experience is that this is pretty difficult to balance with retention. Like quality is required to retain players and Match 3 is fundamentally a content treadmill market. Why Playrix, like this is why Playrix is snapping up all these cheaper Eastern European devs to produce more content. So this live content model just doesn't really leverage Supercell's strengths. So that's my thoughts. Miska? Yeah, yeah. I mean, in short, you could say that Heyday Pop is, is a smart move from Supercell. Like if, if you're... Um if you're conservative, it's a puzzle game for a simulation audience with familiar characters that got a facelift. And the facelift is pretty great. I mean, it shows off Supercell's 3D capabilities in a in a very high way because if you consider this to, you know, some of their existing games, like what well, little 3D inside the game is, is pretty nice. But in the end, as Adam, as you said, it's you know, you, you compare it to Perils Peril, right? Pearl's Peril. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would say it's more clo <laughs> closer to Fishdom. It's like Heyday Pop. Heyday Pop is like Fishdom meets Heyday with a tile blast mechanic. That's how I feel. And I say Fishdom because I, f you know, I get as much um, feeling or, or you know, like um, I don't know feelings out of this game as I get from Fishdom, where you decorate uh, um, yeah. uh, a fishbowl because 
despite you know having a really nice farm and these characters here it feels extremely mechanical you know it's it's all about this battle pass mode that you have to complete you get the stuff you put the stuff that gives you um the stars or, or the xp and then you unlock new content and you open up and decorate that it's literally fishdom and and what you said about the lack of narrative it you know i i didn't really consider it in in the games like magic dimension or or gardenscape because they had the narrative but now when you take out the narrative uh the game feels empty. It feels like it's very like a manly approach. You know, you just complete levels, get stuff, put it in, get coins, battle pass. So, so that's, that's kind of weird, but you know, I agree with you. It's a good game. It's just not a great game. And it does not give that, you know, what the fuck moment that you're accustomed to with Supercell games where you start playing, even with Rush Wars. When I started playing that, I was like, okay, here we go again. Not bad. Interesting. This is something new. I haven't played this version of it again, but with Heyday Pop, it feels like I've played this game before. And it might be also that, that you know, it, it has the same Heyday layout and it kind of all the, all the same things, the red truck, and that might be a good thing, but it kind of, you know, feels like you've, you've seen this game on all the facets before. So I don't see it disrupting the puzzle genre. I see some, you know, puzzle companies definitely taking some notes, growing your your uh, your boosters. Um, that's one. The use of battle pass. I mean, other games do it already in the puzzle genre, but but there's definitely something to 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 uh, to learn. And I feel that with addition of a compelling narrative and a proper creative marketing strategy, something like you know uh, tactile uses with with Lily's Garden, where they really truly think creativity first and create very very interesting ads you know some of them are very sexual uh, and some of them are just very you know they're just fun ads like they're, you can see supercell like it, but, but that's but that's the ad thing. ip they're gonna but, go but, crazy but think about well, well that's the thing like because they have the supercell ip and because supercell is really not known to do um, to be on on the cutting edge of user acquisition, you know, you haven't seen that. Like, oh, that creator from Supercell really blew it out. They they kind of do the carpet bombing. They do the the brand marketing. They would put in Liam Neeson at the at the uh, at the you know at the heyday booth and an NFL ad or whatever it is. But they they they're not they won't do this. Like they don't have the capabilities at least at this moment to do the same type of a creative strategy as as Tactile does, where it you know dives in dives deep into like female and like the core audience emotions and and finds out these different stories that they tell through creative ads and and through that they're able to acquire users at a at a, at a you know a cheaper price and then really retain them with the storyline that they put into the game they really focus on the characters in this game it's it's kind of like it's kind of like the uh, the mechanics of a puzzle and decoration game without the soul of it and that that makes it really weird if if you know what i mean but you know overall i think it's a good game if they if they get the creative right if they get you know if they get the um the narrative and it could be a successful game i just don't see this game kind of like breaking the bank and, and really disrupting the puzzle puzzle games genre so i don't know eric you play these games a lot what do you think i don't know i got nothing on this one i think uh i don't know if heyday is a big enough draw i mean i, I think that what's interesting is the, is the it, is the IP fits to some degree, right, with the genre. But Zynga did know. this already. Harvest Swap. Farmville uh, Harvest Swap. Oh, they right, already right. did a match three with all the beautiful 3D graphics. And, you know, it was a high-quality 3D game with Farmville IP. So even as an idea, this is not novel. Yeah, I just, yeah, I, don't, I, I just don't know. Does Heyday have that much IP? 
brand? I mean, awareness out there? I mean, it's an old game, right? Yeah, I think it has a lot of legacy users that, that you know, with a lot of legacy games, players have played it for ages. I know. Especially and they, with the and older they, audience. And they, and they love that game. I don't know if it's exactly. going to convince them to go play a puzzle game with the Heyday brand. But it but could I, give I, you... But if you look at the data, you'd be like, oh, my players are playing this game for five years straight. It could give you a sort of a hint that, hey, maybe I have yeah. such a strong IP. But Heyday is really not an IP. Like, they haven't taken a step to turn the game into an IP. So building around it using the same IP is not, in my opinion, as valuable because you haven't invested into the IP. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to think about this. We'll keep tracking it. It's, it seems like it'll be one of those probably in beta for another three years. So we'll have plenty of time to look at it. <laughs> and again, another game we wouldn't be talking about if it wasn't coming from Supercell, right? So anyway. Yeah, yeah that's it. All right, that's it. That's it. Stay All safe right, out there. Mm-hmm. Don't sneeze. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs>